1: Welcome ladies and gentlemen to the DOGS program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and podcast on the WWWs around the World Wide Web. Um, we are the Defenders of Government Schools, D-O-G-S. That's why we call that, that's why we have to do that because government schools need defending in this country and indeed around the world. When I say government schools, I mean schools that are paid for by me and by you to educate all the people, free at point of entry and a school that does not care if you have money and does not care um, what colour your skin is, and does not care what your religion is, and doesn't ask if your parents are homosexuals. Um, There are schools that um, care about all of these things before you're allowed to go into their school grounds and be educated by them. And they're called private schools. And in Australia, for some very strange reason, they are funded by me. I have to give them money to run their institutions. And here at the Dogs, we think that's a bad idea. We think... um, People should pay for people's education and there should be no discrimination in that. Um, And so that's why we have to be on the radio here on 3 Community Radio because we are a community program who serves the community. By letting people know what's going on around these particular issues around Australia and indeed around the world, I'll be letting you know in detail exactly what's going on in a related issue which of course is the separation of religion from the mechanics of how you run a country how much involvement should churches have in how you go about running a country and in various countries around the world this has now become a very big question Um, the question was sort of answered in the 17th century when they had lots and lots of wars and tens of millions of people died about this question and the answer is uh, no no that's a bad idea let's not play that game let us not seek a window into men's souls before we ask them to vote, uh, according to well Queen Elizabeth and um, various other French people. I'm sort of paraphrasing there. Um, yeah, so no, yeah. You know, let's just not. Let's just separate that out. You know, your conscience is your conscience. Your country is your country. Yes, sometimes those things come together, but mostly when it comes to your beliefs in terms of supernatural forces, or indeed religion, um, as it's more usually called. Um, those questions uh, remain separate. Now, in Australia, it's become a big question, um, and in America, it's become a very big question, and I'll be highlighting those particular issues in the program today. But we'll also be dealing with practical things. We have an interview from um, a group called State School Relief, um, who's an organisation who supports people who send their children to state schools in the most practical way possible. So the opposite of what I'm talking about, with all this highfalutin religion, separation, religion and state, state school relief are there at the face, and we'll find out more about them later in the program. But before we do, I think it's good to hear from Jean, because Jean was always here with her press release. Press release
0: number? 824.
1: Right, so if you're interested in the previous 823 press releases, they're all at our website, www.adogs.info. But if you're interested in press release number 824... Please, listen up now.
0: Yes, well, of course, the dogs um, believe, yes, in separation of religion from the state because they believe in a state school system, a public school system, which is free, which is secular and which is universal, open to all children. So, unfortunately, we have to take on the people who don't believe in these things. Particularly private schools that believe that they have the right, the right to both take taxpayers' money and the right to discriminate against children. Now, uh, the rationalists agree with the dogs on this, and so do some Christian people, of course, and uh, so do uh, the humanists, and uh, so do quite a large number of other people who are starting to think about it because of the Religious Discrimination Bill. But Meg Wallace from the Rationalist Society... Uh, has got out a very interesting paper which she calls The sophistry of the Religious Discrimination Bill. And after I've read what she has to say, uh, Robert has got some other material on this. Uh, he has a press release from the Rational Society themselves, but also uh, a very interesting article written by somebody from America because over there they actually have a Religious Freedom Day on the 16th of January, which has just passed. So we are certainly not alone in taking a strong stand on this. So here we are, press release 824. Meg Wallace from the Rationalist Society has penned a critique of the Morrison Religious Discrimination Bill, which she has called the sophistry of the Discrimination Bill. She points out that the definition of religious in the bill Includes now listen to this, it includes both belief and non-belief in a supernatural being. And this actually flies in the face of existing definitions of religious belief, presumably that in the High Court 1983 Scientology case. It is a tax case in which the Scientologists took the State Revenue Office of Victoria to court uh, because uh, the State Revenue Office said they weren't a proper charity, they weren't properly religious. But uh, the High Court found, yes, they were, because they did believe in a supernatural being. That is the definition of a religion in Australia. But the Discrimination Bill says that religious includes both a belief in religion and a non-belief in religion. Uh, It's extraordinary, isn't it? Opposites. And this is what Meg has to say. The proposed Religious Discrimination Bill, number 2 of 2019, is a classic case of sophistry. And sophistry is a method of argument that's seemingly plausible, but it's actually invalid and misleading. We're asked to believe... That the words that are commonly understood to refer to opposites, that is belief and non-belief, are now to be understood as meaning the same thing. The sophistry centres around the Bill's definition of religious belief. Now according to the explanatory memorandum of the Bill, and here she is quoting the Bill, this is not her imagination... Religious belief includes both holding a religious belief and engaging in religious activity and not holding a religious belief or not engaging in religious activity. For the drafters of the bill, the lawyers in the Attorney-General's department to define not having a religious belief as equivalent to having a religious belief is to put their legal training aside. It sets the bill up to be demolished in a court by anyone who cares to question it. It's both absurd and bizarre for the Bill to claim that religious belief and non-religious belief are equivalent where non-religious belief is a denial of anything supernatural. Further, while religious belief is defined, it is notably subtle that the words religion and religious on their own are not defined, yet they're used repeatedly repeatedly throughout the bill. A likely court case would look at precedent in interpretation where religion in Australia has been defined as a belief in the supernatural and canons of conduct that give effect to that belief, and that's the Scientology case in the High Court in nineteen eighty three. The the Bill's definition of religious belief buys into the central tenet of those religiously committed who assume as a fact that any worldview or philosophical belief must be understood to be religious in some way.
1: I'm just going to pull you up there, Jane, because you said some really interesting... I mean, this is... I mean, that's the definition of sophistry, isn't it? I mean, if you go to a Year 9 class on debating and logic, that is the definition of sophistry. But you said that but non-belief is the denial of a supernatural being I would actually I would argue even further I, I, because a denial is an opinion a denial is, is, is a decision you make after considering you know, a number of instances and facts and arguments logically um, a non-belief is not that to my mind there is the capacity to have non-belief because you have not considered it hmm. it, is, it is unconsidered by you by, by its very definition um, So many people who have no belief sort of get a bit grumpy when they say that, you know, do you believe that there's not a God? And and people will say, that's not, you're asking the wrong question. Um, Mm -hmm. The question is, have I considered it? And the answer is, no, um, I haven't considered a lot of things. (laughs) And amongst the things I haven't considered is the question um, as to your particular belief, because I'm assuming you're talking about that. So for me, the sophistry extends even further. Um, between because you have this concept of belief and non-belief as as existing as the same thing but different ends of a spectrum, I, I put that that, that non-belief is, is isn't on the graph. Uh, no, it's uh, a different graph. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's on a different graph. <laughs> Sorry, Jane. I just because I think that's even more important because it makes the bill absolutely well not just sophistry. It's it's um it's pointless. It's pointless. It's kind of manic in its. Mm. In its its way of trying to solve the obvious problem,
0: it's not you're saying it's not even we're not even talking about parallel lines because after all parallel lines do meet together in infinity. Well, no, I mean saying they're not even they're (laughs) just not. Well, I mean you know
1: you have belief and strong belief and and weak belief and tendency to not belief and then you have unbelief. All of those things you can talk about, but um, people say, well, I I don't, I'm not playing, I'm not on the graph. Mm. Um, so this question of these things being even sort of considered in the same frame I mean I'm, I'm, I'm banging on about it, I'm sorry But I think in the concept of the bill It makes it to my mind um, even more ridiculous at a logical level Sorry Jane to interrupt you there um, We probably should continue this, this, this discussion and debate after this Well it
0: also trivial, I believe it trivialises people who actually do have a firm belief which many people do have in God and believe it's very personal, it's oh, um, enormously personal. Oh, no, no,
1: no, this, this, is mm. this is not to question belief. This is not to question belief, this is to frame yeah. the debate.
2: More, more uh, twists and turns than a Joseph Heller novel. We'll be right back.
3: Joseph Toscana, Convener of the Tannum Inouye at Commemorations. See you midday this Monday, 20th of January, corner of Franklin and Victoria Street, Melbourne at the Tanaminaway and Morborhina Monument to commemorate Tanaminaway, Morborhina, Putirana, Traganini, Planobina and those others, tens of thousands of men, women and children who died defending their lands, their cultures this Monday, the 20th of January. Can't make the first hour of the ceremony, 12 to 1? Broadcast live on community radio 3CR, 3cr.org.au.
2: Yellick at Nagy, Australia's First Nations Festival, returns Saturday, February 1st with soulful live music and free family entertainment. Get your funk on to Emma Donovan and the Putbacks, plus Coloured Stone, Kian, The Struggling Kings and loads more music from the finest First Nations artists in Australia. Eat and browse your way through market stalls or get hands-on at the many workshops and activities on offer. Yallakut Willem Nagy proudly celebrates Australia's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures across one day where everyone is welcome. Head to ywnf.com.au for details. City of Port Phillip and Yallakut Willam Nagy, 3CR supporters.
0: had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their
4: working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. the, the of a government funded primary school education and of a government funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public school in the world. It's
0: still not good enough that kids with disability miss out.
3: Our education is not for profit. Our education is not
2: for profit. You're listening to The Dogs, the Defence of Government Schools on 3CR.
0: Well, before the break, we were pointing out that the legislation in the Religious Discrimination Bill, defines religion as both a religious belief and a non-belief. Uh, and Meg Wallace points out that this unquestionably accepts the central tenet in religious thought that faith requires no justification because God is self-evident to the religious whereas belief for the non-religious is characterised by reasoned argument that's informed by evidence. Now, the bill is... And also, uh, one, about privileging religion. Uh, religious groups and individuals expect to be able to discriminate against others while seeking protection against discrimination themselves. And secondly, it's about a Pentecostal Prime Minister. Our Prime Minister have, has a very particular belief, which is even very particular within the Christian religion. Large numbers of Christians would not agree with his view of the Christian religion or the Bible. Um, so his mainly religious parliamentary colleagues are using their political power to impose this particular religious belief on Australians whether they like it or not. The very fact that you are asked to pay even one cent of um, your income tax or any other tax on religion uh, is really a lack of freedom in religion a discrimination. Now, on this second point, in 1953, the German sociologists turned their minds to analysing the authoritarian ideology of National Socialism, used to justify what became the disaster of World War II. They concluded that the ideology of National Socialism was a manipulative contrivance, a mere instrument of power which no one, not even those who used it themselves, ever believed or expected to be taken seriously. Well, I can't see how anyone who is actually penning this discrimination bill, which defines religion and non-religion as religious belief, um, can be taken seriously. The National Press Club's Mark Kenny described this notion of authoritarian manipulative contrivance this way. He said, I'm yet to hear any compelling reason why we're having this push forward for this law. I'm wondering why the government is wasting so much time on trying to deliver rights that are essentially there. Because already these private schools, without this discrimination bill, can select the children that they enrol, and they do so. And they do so if it suits them uh, on religious and all sorts of other grounds. They do already have that freedom. And Australians already have a very, very strong religious freedom clause in their constitution. The problem is that it was read uh, down, it was made meaningless in 1981 in a case that was brought by the dogs to the High Court. Uh, that is the real problem: that the religious freedom that we did have before we started to pour public money into private schools that can can discriminate on the basis of religion that was lost in 1981. And that's why uh, there is this uh, desire to somehow re-establish the religious freedom when we have lost it. Now, ideally, according to Meg, Equal human rights are maximised when people reach an overlapping political consensus through the process of our supposed liberal democracy based on human rights and the rule of law. Now, this consensus establishes a public morality, values that everyone can accept as principles for society, as an inclusive whole, regardless of personal beliefs. And, of course, this inclusive whole for the next generation, can only be established through a school system which is open, which is inclusive of all children. Now, the following statement by Joe Hockey best expresses uh, this this notion of inclusiveness. He said, and this was back in 2002, I do not believe, as do some of my colleagues, that it is the role of government to preach and legislate morality. This is not a church, and I'm not standing in a pulpit. As an elected representative of the Australian people, it is not my role to exclusively impose my values on others. We must never indulge ourselves with the power of office, and we should not use our position to force the community to accept our personal moral judgment. This parliament is not for moralistic crusades and I certainly wish that Mr. Morrison would have listened to Mr. Hockey, who went on to greater things, I suppose, uh, making a friend of Mr. Trump in Washington, D.C., and who wants to stay there now his term has ended uh, and go into private enterprise. So, blind to the secular concept of government which favours neither religion nor atheism, Scott Morrison wants to... in Joe Hockey's words, forced the community to accept an authoritarian moral judgment of the Christian far-right. This reveals the true political ideology of Australia not as a liberal democracy but as a soft theocracy where the religious hold disproportionate sway as expressed through the sophistry of the Religious Discrimination Bill. And we thank Meg Wallace who has a PhD in this human rights area and has written a very interesting book on it for her view of the Religious Discrimination Bill. And that's our press release 824, which will go up on our website at www.adogs.info.
1: Yes, you've been listening to Jean's famous press release 824. Um, You're welcome, of course, to the Dogs Program, which is what you're listening to right now. Let's have a bit of a break, but after that we'll have a fascinating interview with an organisation called States School Relief.
0: We've got a very interesting interview now for um, the State Schools Relief and parents and grandparents who have to foot the bill for their children to go back to school in a week or two will be very interested to hear what Sue has got to say. Sue is from the State Schools Relief. Hello, Sue.
2: Hello, Jane. How are you?
0: Now, what's all this State Schools Relief about?
2: State Schools Relief is a charity that was started in 1930 during the Great Depression by a group of teachers from Eltonwick State School, and they were they got together to try and help um, bring together the, the students who weren't turning up to school because they didn't have shoes or uniform, and the farmers from the country areas were sending up some food, and others were sewing uniforms, and we. Uh, continue to this day to assist uh, families who need help with the costs of going back to school. And we provide uniforms and school shoes, uh, relief with uh, other educational resources as well for state school students in Victoria.
0: Uh, I'm looking here at some figures. In uh, 2019, it cost 503 for a state school person. Uh, and now you're saying in 2020... research is saying it's going to cost $608. Gee, that's a lot of money, isn't
2: it? It is a lot of money, isn't it? Yes. And I guess that's why we exist. We exist to be able to help with some of those costs. So um, the way that it works is that schools put applications on for those families who need the help. So if you're a parent or a grandparent or a carer who is needing assistance, uh, you can simply go to your principal or wellbeing person, whoever at the school um, can help and ask them for what you need and then they'll put the application on. It might be for a pair of shoes or a school bag or uh, a uniform and we will process those applications and send the items out directly to the school
4: uh, and
2: that should provide some, some help with some of those costs.
0: And what about the really, real expense for a lot of ordinary people and that's the, um, the technology, the, the iPads and what have you? Mm-hmm. Because these days, a child that doesn't have their iPad, mm-hmm. is a bit left out, aren't they?
2: They absolutely Yeah. We don't. We don't have the capacity uh, to fund um, the devices. We did fundraise for iPads for non-verbal children in special schools. We did that last year, but we can't. I mean, we actually uh, helped over fifty-six thousand Victorian state school students last year, so we couldn't. Our funding just doesn't allow us to do mm-hmm. devices, but we do all sorts of other things, as I mentioned, such as the uniforms, shoes, bags, even bathers now we do for the swimming uh, program.
0: Well, that's very important, isn't it, that a child is well-dressed yes. when they actually go to school. So the, uh, if if a parent uh, is feeling a bit cash-strapped, they go to the principal of the school, that's right, and they contact you?
2: Yes, the principal or whoever else is in that sort of role. Sometimes it's a chaplain or a well-being person or... Um, yes, they can. They can even ask the, you know, whoever is at the front desk just for some assistance. Yeah. And if they don't get the assistance they need, they can call us at State Schools Relief, and we can call the school to make sure that that help is forthcoming.
0: So where is um, State Schools Relief, and what is your phone number?
2: Yeah, so um, our our website address, which is important, is ssr dot net dot
0: ssr dot net dot and um our telephone number is um i'll give you the general number is 8769
2: 8450 8769 8450 eight, that's right
0: right well, that's a wonderful service you're doing in what, <laughs> 1930, you've been going, Since 90
2: years. And we are supported by the state government as well, so um, we do get some support from the state government, but we also rely on schools to fundraise for us to help us with the expenses because um, the more people that we help, obviously, the the more funding that we require. So, um, yes, we've been going for a really long time and we're in our 90th year this year, which is really exciting and Our mission is to be able to remove barriers for all children so that they can engage with education.
0: That's wonderful and what kind of um, money are we looking at that you raise per year for this uh, Um, charity? So I
2: think between primary schools and secondary schools we raise about uh, just over $120,000. We'd like to raise a bit more uh, this year so sometimes schools do fundraisers for us they might have a gold coin donation day or a football day or something like that, and um, the money goes directly to helping those children that that need the support. So uh, we do encourage schools to support us. Um, We we do support 85% of schools in Victoria, so a large number of schools are receiving our support.
0: Well, there's a large number of children that are underprivileged in our state schools.
2: There Um, are, yes.
0: About how many children uh, do you estimate that you need to support?
2: Well, we're looking at in excess of 60,000 this year.
0: Wow, that's a lot of children. It is a lot. And on
2: top of that, we'll be doing some, um, with the support of the state government, we'll actually be doing some packages for those affected by the bushfires as well.
0: Indeed. To get them
2: back to school quickly. So there's also that support that will be flowing through in the next week.
0: Right. Right. So, um, you're going to become a very important, uh, conduit then for, for just getting children back to school in the next few weeks, aren't you? We're
2: well, actually, yeah, we're a very unique organisation in that we actually have the capacity and the ability. We've got a big warehouse and we can ha- get those items out rather quickly
0: mm-hmm.
2: and we're quite nimble and we have access to every Victorian state school. Um, and we do send items out to every Victorian state school, no matter whether it's regional or metropolitan. So, yeah, we do have a very important role to play, and we're the only organisation of, of its kind in, in the country. So yes. only Victoria has state schools released. So we're, we're you know, I think that it's a really important organisation, uh, particularly in times like this.
0: Look, Sue, so thank you so much. Uh, thanks so much for contacting 3CR and telling us about this service for parents. And thank you very much for doing this um, interview. My pleasure, Thank yeah. you so much. So bye for now. Bye. You're listening to Summer Programming on 3CR. To find out more about our summer specials, go to 3cr.org.au.
3: The Setting Sun Film Festival in Melbourne's West is calling for entries until 31st of January. Enter your short or feature film into our international festival with the cult following and see your film screen at Yarraville's Art Deco Sun Theatre in May. The festival runs for seven days and features a culturally diverse programme that includes Australia's first female filmmakers programme and a wide range of categories and genres. Lots of prizes to win, all details on our website, settingsun.com.au. The Setting Sun Film Festival is a 3CR supporter.
1: Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR, 855 on AM Dogs. Good to have you. Good to have your company here on a Saturday, as it always is, because we have to keep coming back because government schools keep me defending. Um, with just a little tail end to what Jean was talking about, to quote from Meg Wallace and the media release number 31 from the Rationalist Society, um, she points out that there's, they're going to set up a religious freedom commissioner. And it's defined as um, someone who investigates the rights of people not holding a religious belief. Defined as not holding a religious belief. So if you, so if you can tick belief. that box, you can go to the Religious Freedom Commissioner and they can solve your problem of discrimination because you've been discriminated against because you're not holding a religious belief. Um, yeah, the the Attorney General is actually presenting a bill that, that's just incredible, she says. It's not, it's only in a soft theocracy, so not a liberal democracy, in a soft theocracy like Australia, could a bill like this be introduced? It's very peculiar. Australia's a very peculiar place when it comes to questions of religion these days. I'm, I don't even want to talk about it. Um, it's not my business. Most, mostly it's not my business, but we have to because it relates not just to schools, but all these other aspects of our of, our, of my life and society. Um, but they have similar problems and issues in the in the United States. This is not this is kind of a semi worldwide movement. And as Jean was mentioning before, on they have a day for religious freedom in America. It's on January the sixteenth, and it's to commemorate um, what may be the most revolutionary. ...idea in the history of civilization. It was the reason many joined the American Revolution in the first place. It's the reason for America. It's the first freedom in the First Amendment. But despite all this, Americans as a society have forgotten or taken the power of this idea for granted...
0: Well, the First Amendment, of course, became our Section 116, which starts off that the Commonwealth shall make no law for the establishment of any religion and that there shall be no law to prevent the exercise of the freedom of any religion. Yes, that's true. The free exercise of any religion. Not a particular religion.
1: Yep. Well a couple of days, well a couple of years really before Captain Cook bumped into Australia there was a bloke called Thomas Jefferson who happened to be in a place called Virginia um, and it was in the heat of the 1777 revolution. At that time evangelical Baptists and Presbyterians who were then persecuted religious minorities they were killed uh, for holding their beliefs in the Virginian colony saw religious freedom as a reason to throw in with the American Revolution to take up arms against the British Empire. It may sound almost a bit Star Wars-like, but it's central to American history. It took decades before James Madison was able to prevail against the old guard in the Legislative to enact the Virginia Statute of 1786 to carry its message to Philadelphia for the first Constitutional Convention the following year, and later for it to be included in the First Amendment of 1791. Now, commemorative proclamations called for by Congress, Congress issued by the President annually have been generally true to the spirit of the occasion, which is celebrating religious freedom. You know, a government doesn't get to tell you which God to believe in.
0: A little, just a little that, bit of extra information there. Uh, Jefferson was persuaded in the end to go along with the First Amendment on religious freedom by the Presbyterians in Virginia, who had arrived there from Northern Ireland because they had had a rebellion against England. A lot of them were, in fact, Masons in, involved with the French Revolution. And they had beaten the, the um, uh, British army in one battle, but then the British ganged up on them. And they were giving them the opportunity to either be hung or go into exile. So they, they were fighting in fact, believe it or not, for home rule for Ireland. These were Presbyterians from Ulster in 18, sorry, 1798 fighting for home rule for Ireland and they went to America rather than be strung up by the British. And here they were in Virginia, fighting for freedom of religion and persuading Jefferson to put the First Amendment into the Constitution. I find it very interesting.
1: Yeah, thanks for that, Vasai Jane. Now, as I was mentioning before, it's commemorative proclamations called for by Congress and issued by presidents annually have been generally the rule and they've stuck to the spirit of the occasion. Um, There's a different president in America than what they usually have. And things have changed. Donald Trump now uses the occasion, Religious Freedom Day, to promote Christian rights ideas that religious freedoms allows for ad hoc exemptions from the laws that apply to everybody else in America. Now, the people who framed the Constitution knew there'd be days like this. The theocrats and monarchists lost in the 18th century, but they would be back. Mm. And that's essentially now who occupies the White House. If you think about it, a monarchist backed by theocrats. Mm. What's more, the Christian right figures um, who have conflated the idea of religious freedom with their theocratic aims are influencing, if not directing, federal policy on matters ranging from access to reproductive health and LGBTQI rights, and foreign policy, and foreign policy notably with regard to Israel and the Middle East. Now, the Virginia Statute of Religious Freedom, like the Constitution and the First Amendment that followed, were aspirational, which is to say that they hoped the principle would shape and inform American culture, politics and law over time. And it did, albeitly, unevenly and slowly. They
0: only have their state school system and we only have our public school system because these people were prepared to fight the theocrats and allow all children to have an education regardless of their background.
1: But this principle of freedom of religion also allows for greater advances in human civil rights in the centuries since. But in our darkening moments, a variety of retrograde ideas of second-class citizenship um, are ascendant. Um, as the author, and by the way, this, this, this is an interesting article, written by a bloke called Fred Clarkson, who's a senior research analyst, political research associate in Massachusetts in America. And he says, um, he was talking to a journalist, Paul Rosenberg, who wrote, he wrote for the Salon magazine last year. Uh, The Christian Right, since the signing of the Manhattan Declaration in 2009, has sought to turn religious freedom into a tool of insult and repression of the religious views and civil rights of others, which is exactly what our legislation is. It is a tool of insult and repression. That's what it's for. It's to allow people to be offensive. It's to allow people to hold views that mean that other people, um, in their religious view, are are not people or second-class citizens. Christian theologian Rebecca Todd Peters wrote in um, a magazine last year that religious freedom belongs to everyone, and thus we should not cede the religious argument to conservatives. She says, Refusing to codify traditionalists' conservative religious beliefs into laws isn't a violation of anyone's religious freedom. In fact, it only protects a large majority of people in this country from the tyranny of patriarchy, which actually protects their religious freedom. Uh, these contemporary views aside, it's not too late for the bright side of history to illuminate our present, enabling us to see the possibility of a better future. That light, perhaps, he says, more than anything else, may be in the framers' expectations that in the future there would be people, that is, non-theocratic Christians, free thinkers, deists, and what's a deist, Jean?
0: person who believes in God, just believes in God. Mm. That's it. Okay.
1: And people of other religions as well, non-Christian ones, who would insist on the promise of equality inherent in any reasonable understanding of religious freedom. Now as then, we need to know that we are all in this together. But there's even more than liberatory leaders of the past expect from us. The late Robert Edgar, the former General Secretary of the National Council of Churches, once said, and I quote, if we were alive today, Dr Martin Luther King would remind us that we are, we are leaders, we are the leaders that we have been waiting for. To, really, to actually reclaim religious freedom and democracy in the 21st century, therefore, we need not just quote the founders of our leaders, often as, as we do, but we need to actually be the founders. We need to be the Jeffersons. We need to be the people who wrote the Constitution of America, he says. Whether and how we can rise to the occasion together is a question we face. And as dire as our moment can sometimes seem, as media outlets hype the news of the day, democracy and its institutions are under attack, but they're not dead yet. Not yet. As powerful as theocrats have become, there is still a lot more of us than there are of them. So, to have discussions, we also need to refresh the language of religious freedom, The truth is that ringing rhetoric of the 19th century can sound clunky today. For example, the key phrase of the Virginia Statute reads, All men shall be free to to profess and by argument to maintain their opinions in matters of religion, and and the same shall in no wise diminish in larger or effect their civil capacities. In addition to replacing men with people, a 21st century paraphrase might say we're free to believe and express ourselves as we will, and that our religiousness or irreligiousness and the identity that we hold neither advantages nor disadvantages us as citizens. In this spirit, a remarkable group of um, organisations in America are pro- promoting a model Religious Freedom Day proclamation, or resolution for state and local executives and re- legislators. It seeks to be true to the fact of history and intentions of the statute, while remaining unburdened by many contemporary issues relating to religious freedoms. Now, versions of the model Resolution were introduced last year in Minnesota and um, passed unanimously in Washington, D.C. Pennsylvania is in on, 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 on the whole thing. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Minnesota. Um, and there's been a joint resolution in the House of the Senate to permanently commemorate Religious Freedom Day in the state of Minnesota, much in the manner of federally recognized days that they had there already, and this effort is partly to answer, I don't know, the religious freedom day resolutions that are promoted by theocratic sources. These tend to be more acts of religious boosterism than commemorations of religious overthrow, of the Anglican Church in Virginia, or the advance of religious equality, or something like that. What's more. In an act of historical erasure, a religious freedom day resolution in Kentucky failed to even mention the original Virginia statute in the first place. Unfortunately, historical erasure is not limited to theocrats or project bids. Liberal interest groups are sometimes unable to do much better than well intended message campaigns about faith. Of course, we now all know how the theocrats have, in many ways, hijacked very large corners of the internet. Mm-hmm. Now, the authors, to conclude, of the First Amendment knew that without the right to think and believe differently than the government, or religious organisations, or even think differently to economic elites, speech could not be free, nor could there be a free press. That's why freedom of religion is called the first freedom, without it, democracy itself is impossible. And those are the words of Frederick Carlson. He's a senior research analyst um, in in Massachusetts. He's also editor of Dispatches from the Religious Left, The Future of Faith and Politics in America. So a deeply religious man. Mm -hmm. um, His his ideas, um, which were, I think we can quite solidly say, the original ideas upon which the American nation was founded and which we in Australia, without, I don't know, sophistratic witterings of, of what oil is going on in Canberra at the moment I've certainly lost sight of.
0: Well the really sad thing is that um, a lot of religious people have been uh, they've fallen in love with the money and the power that has come with the state aid, the enormous amount of state aid for their institutions and they are unfortunately being used also as a conduit for um, services which the government should be providing. I'm just wondering whether or not they're going to be in charge of the uh, water bombers that we need now to get for the new normal of bushfires. Um, The the problem is that there has been this contracting out of so many of our services to these people who have neither the background or the the real desire to provide services, but they do have the desire for the money Mm -hmm. and the power. It's a very worrying situation.
1: I think so too. But let's not worry. Let's not be down. Let's not get upset because there's extraordinary things going on in state schools at the moment. Um, State schools that are actually free of this whole question. You walk through a state school door, you don't get asked this question. It's not something you have to worry about because you don't have to deal with Presbyterian English. You don't have to deal with Catholic Mass. You don't have to deal... Um, indeed with Islamic science although that's a very interesting subject in itself Um, you don't have to deal with religiously tinged, tinged curriculum because that's not what you came there for, which is why in so many ways our state schools are great schools, it's a good thing to avoid I'd like to tell you actually all about one great state school this week it's out in Sale which has had a pretty rough time at the moment so I think our great state school of the week this year, quite frankly um, should be and is Sale College Every week on the Dogs Program We have a special segment To show a different state school Is a great school State schools are great schools School of the week State school. School the of the school. week Great state schools state, state schools, schools School of the week School for the week Here on the Dogs Program <laughs> Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 30855 on the AM and um, We're talking about the great state school that's in sale. Now, at the moment, if you start off in all Boston, you drive for 123 kilometres, um, you'll be driving through what's left of the countryside because all of that is now going to a crisp. Uh, you can't take the turn off to Mallacoota. Um, you, you're just not allowed in yet. But um, if you keep going, um, you'll get to sale. It's out there in the East Gippsland. And even though it's been deeply affected um, by the bushfires, it has, even through the school holidays, maintained itself. But when it's going, I don't want to talk about when it's in the holidays, when it's going, Sale College is actually a fascinating place. They're doing great things. They actually now have two campuses. Um, They have a McAllister, which hosts Year 10 and VCE students, and the Guthridge campus, which holds a 7 to 9. So 7 to 9, you know, that's one school, and 10 to 12, that's another. I think it's a perfect break-up, if you ask me, in terms of um, getting kids together, doing the right sorts of things. And when I say the right sorts of things, that is learning. It's a highly successful SEAL program. It has literacy support programs, and it has what's called a year-level team-based structure. Now, let me explain what that is. Each year level has teachers which only teach that year level. They really know the kids. So you have teachers, certainly in year seven and eight, teaching across multiple subjects to do this. So they're teaching outside, sometimes their specialist areas, but it gives the benefit of, as the kids progress through their day, from classroom to classroom to classroom to classroom to classroom, the teachers standing in front of them are the smallest number of different teachers you're going to get. So your music teacher's going to be separate, but your English teacher might also be teaching you history. And your math teacher might almost also be teaching you science. And they do this not just as individual teachers, but as a team. So in terms of making connections with the kids, you can spot problems. You can spot gifted and talented kids. You can spot when a kid's taken off with some interest in something. And that approach even in a large school, and by the way, it's not a small school, I can tell you right now. Um, there's 72 teachers and 768 kids. But I can also tell you that of these kids, the ICSI value... Um, is um, 942. Now the median for the country is a thousand. Now what that means is that 85% of the kids come from the poorest poorest households in Australia. 85%. Yeah.
0: That's a very high number, isn't it? Yeah, it
1: is. Uh, the rest come from you know rich, rich, rich mm. people and that sort of stuff. Um, the 60% six percent, I should say, of the kids um, come from Indigenous background, and four percent from background other than English. So it's a sort of a, it's it's a country town school. It serves everyone that turns up through the door. Um, how are they doing, just by the way? Well, I suppose I can tell you their NAPLAN results, for what it's worth. Pretty bloody amazing, if you ask me. NAPLAN results, when you come to it, they're just absolutely fine across the board for for, for children um, who come from that SES background or from that Ixio background. Now, it is true, and it is a disgusting fact, and I'm going to tell you again because it shocks me every time I have to say it, that rich kids in Australia get a better education than poor kids just because. Nothing to do with the school they went to. Nothing to do with the teachers they had. It's just that's the way we are. We are building an, equ- in an equitable society, society through our education. So because the majority of the kids in this school don't have much money went to go home to, that in itself affects their capacity to be educated in Australia. And you don't blame the kids. Don't even start with that. Otherwise, I'll come and have words with you. And
0: don't blame the teachers Don't blame either. the teachers. You, don't blame the no.
1: you blame the system that's been set up to benefit the people um, who already have the greatest advantage. But all in all, NAPLAN results, they're fine. How much does this all cost, by the way? 17000 17000 per kid, which is about 2000 more than an average kid. But you know what? Kids in sale here in the country... You know, you want to get food for the tuck shop, for, for, for your tuck shop in you're spending more than you are in the city because you've got to get the trucks out there, it's going to cost you more, and this and the petrols. You know, so it's a country town, it's a large country town, and it's a large school in that large country town. So, quite frankly, if you're educating your kid to the same are, which is a good standard, 17130 dollars per kid per year is pretty good. How much, and this is a this is question that was brought up today in the interview, how much does the parents contribute? Okay, fees, charges and parents' contribution. What that woman's saying is right. A school is underfunded for what it is and so therefore requires from parents $717 per year per kid as a parent contribution.
0: Well, those parents out there, particularly with the bushfire mm-hmm. problems, should be getting in, in touch with the state school relief, shouldn't they?
1: Absolutely, they should. I can tell you right now that our great state school for this week is Sale College. Congratulations, Sale College. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent, or if you're a kid, or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever, and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary
2: State schools are great. Harkaway Primary School. school.
1: Sunshine school. North primary school. primary school. They're really
4: concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning.
1: Got, like, you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking...
4: Actually, an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than need. half
1: of your kids
4: are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing, and that's who, that's who we welcome into the school.
2: play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly
4: assemblies to... and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a, a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words it's actually...
1: So, so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and
4: turn into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning.
1: But state schools are great schools.
2: Great state schools.
1: Welcome back to the Docs Program here on 3CR 855 on the dial. Now, if you've come to this far in the program, I can tell you that Jane's press release is now on the website. Happily up there. So if you want to review what she was talking about there, which I think is worth doing because it's just so crazy, um, it's hard to take it all in sometimes Then go to our website at www.adogs.info That's www.adogs.info Or if you want to contact us, uh, me personally, Rob or Jean or Dale You can get us through um, You can just call the station during business hours nine four one nine eight three double seven. give us a call Especially if you've got a great state school you want me to talk about I'll do that I love it when people come and say Oh no, this is a really good school You've got to tell about it, they're brilliant more than happy because our great state school said we're just proving quite popular. Um, but of course you can contact us through of course because we are a, on a community radio station. We are at community. 3cr.org.au um, So from Jim, myself and Dale it's actually until next week So sadly enough bye for now. <laughs>
3: I saw Joey here last night, alive as you and me, says I, but Joe here ten years dead, I never died, says he. City, Joe, says I. am standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge. Says Joe, but I'm dead. Says Joe, but i dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. it's the